Hello and welcome to another episode of Space Update, part of the fantastic Total Space Network. Coming up on today's show, we'll be talking SpaceX, Starship, ULA and all the latest news. I'm your host Ryan and joining me today is... I'm Mikko, the host of Deep Dive Fridays. I'm another space nut. I linger around Total Space. I'm Rich LB and I'm a host of Becoming Multiplanetary and uh, thank you Ryan for letting me join today. No problem, guys. Let's get uh, started. Uh, let's kick off with uh, the most recent news, uh, Hayabusa 2. Uh, it's finally landed in the Australian outback the other day. Quite a small capsule, essentially a little box capsule, sort of sat on like a little 12-inch plate, if you like. It's quite a small return capsule, really. Confirmed it will actually share the samples with uh, NASA and with the OSIRIS-REx. Yeah, that's really cool. Uh, did you guys watch it live? I mean, I, I did and I saw the capsule re-entry. It was pretty nice. I followed it on the uh, the news feed uh, via Twitter and everything because uh, I was quite busy at the time, but everyone just posting pictures from Australia about it streaking through the air and all sorts. There was some good footage well from the actually Australian uh, space agency that they put out tracking it through the atmosphere. It's an exciting time, isn't it, to have samples because I know moon samples are hard to come across. I mean, I think it's great that the Japanese are reaching for these ambitions and bringing more sample bags. You know, samples are in a, a really limited supply. Like, try and get lunar samples, you know, it's just it's practically unheard of so i know that the mission was scheduled to retrieve roughly 100 milligrams of sample mass does anybody know what the final weight of the sample was from the jaxa one the uh, the high booster two if you like um i I don't believe it's been confirmed yet but the size of the capsule i imagine it it will be quite small because it's essentially you can essentially pick it up in the palm of your hand well, you've seen on the the news pictures, you know, the dudes holding it on a tiny little plate. It's it's uh, it is well, it's about the size, uh, smaller than a shoebox, really, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, but to, to just a sample return box, so you, you never really know because all that that was essentially was like the heat shield, which is on the plate we're calling it, and that that small box. But and all that all that was needed was some basic guidance and then some basic pyrotechnic to fire up the uh, the parachute when it came in. It, it could even be that they haven't even opened yet and they don't know the exact amount unless they somehow measured it in the orbit of Ryugu the asteroid. I mean, in comparison to OSIRIS-REx, it probably won't be anywhere near that much because OSIRIS-REx went a bit overboard and smashed into the asteroid, went a bit too far into it. So, But it's quite exciting that they're actually, NASA and JAXA are actually sharing samples and results and everything like that, which I kind of expected, but at the same time, I wasn't expecting it, which is quite interesting, really. Well, at the end of the day, they've just had a JAXA astronaut go up on Crew 1 as well. So the spirit of cooperation is most definitely there recently. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And one of the most recent uh, announcements from uh, over on Twitter, um, one of the guys um, over at uh, NASA said, we're excited about the collaboration between JAXA, Hayabusa 2 mission and NASA's asteroid sample return mission, OSIRIS-REx. Uh, the partnership allows us to share samples from our mission at Bennu and also receive a portion of JAXA's sample from Ryugu. So it'd be a good comparison, really, for the two different asteroids. So do they share the same materials that are same from the early beginnings of the universe, essentially, which is really interesting, I think. Yeah, it's going to be great for our knowledge in the solar system and how the planets and asteroids formed. But I do hope that also China will share their samples from the lunar mission. 
Yeah, yeah, definitely. That's uh, on its way back home, probably back very, very shortly because it's not too far away at the moon at the end of the day compared to the likes of the millions and millions of miles away that the asteroids are. Um, we've got a sample from the moon's surface, that, those. Um, really fantastic footage online of those. I don't know if any of you guys managed to catch any of that. I saw pictures of the uh, the Chang'e 5 launching uh, from the, the actual the Ascender, as it was. Uh, you could they put a couple of pictures online of the ascender launching up from the the lander. And they actually have video of all those uh, that ascend and also orbital docking around the moon. And yeah, they've been sharing the material, not live, but anyway after after success. Yeah, yeah, some great footage and everything. And more interestingly, the uh, the second country to now put a flag on the moon, China. So. Raises the stakes for American go back there and everyone else. I mean, it's exciting when we consistently say as as space nerds over here and rocket nuts and stuff that competition's a good thing within the rocket launch market. You know that's also true of exploring planets. If China are getting this advantage, then it's going to make the US feel inadequate, and as a result, they're going to strive for that twenty twenty four Artemis mission a, a lot more than perhaps they might not have if the Chinese haven't gone there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's really, really fantastic because there's going to be lots more of these little lunar landers going back and forth from the moon prior to us uh, actually making a permanent base on there as such with uh, the likes of Starship or whatever whatever else may be. But these little landers, I think we're going to see a lot more of them a lot more frequently. I mean, congratulations yeah. to them. You know, they they worked their butts off to really get this working, and you know, later on in this month, it's going to land in Inner Mongolia, all being well. Yeah, NASA has the clips program to land many science science rovers, robots on the moon, and probably some of them would return the samples too. And I mean, it paves the way for bigger sample return missions, doesn't it? You know, we've currently got a rover on Mars collecting and dropping samples ready for return also in the 30s, 2030s. And these kind of missions are precursors to that. You know, for, for as much as we're saying, oh, it's 100 uh, milligrams or, you know, there's a few grams of sample here from an asteroid smash that's still paving the way for more sample return missions and more of an understanding about how our universe works, I feel. Definitely, definitely. And uh, obviously you've got the redirect uh, DART mission coming up in the next uh, year. Well, the launch of it anyway. So that'll be an exciting one again. Just pinging off the side note to the asteroids and everything, um, how it will redirect them with a, an actual satellite and everything. Or, well, not a satellite as such, but uh, something smashing into an asteroid trying to redirect it. Yeah, that's definitely an interesting mission. And well, can't wait for it. It's exciting. It's part of our defences, naturally. You know, we've got the likes of Elon Musk saying that a catastrophic event is going to happen to Earth and we need a backup. And these kind of missions pave the way for Earth defence systems at a later point in the human history. You know, the ability to deflect asteroids is going to be critical because it's just a matter of time before an, an extinction-level event happens due to asteroid impact. Yeah, yeah, and uh, spinning off uh, backup systems. We were worried that uh, Delta Four Heavy was going to uh, need a backup system, but uh, it looks like it's go for launch now, the Enrol 44, finally. 
after what five or six months or more <laughs> or maybe a little less than that i'm probably over it's definitely a cursed mission that's for sure it'll be good to see it get off the ground and into space definitely definitely it's just one of those things it's like a, a fantastic rocket it just the way it takes off it just lights itself on fire with the the way it uh, ignites and everything at, the, at launch um you couldn't get to see that rocket back in action because it has got three or four launches backed up pretty soon now because as uh, Tori said it's it's getting taken out of the uh, the fleet of uh, ULA's rockets and getting ready for Vulcan coming online next year so that'd be exciting to see as well yeah definitely Vulcan is pretty much ready rocket except for the Blue Origins BE4 engines I think those are the limiting factor at the moment yeah, yeah, and uh, Blue Origin um, recently in the past, uh, with the past week or so, they're still working on the uh, the B seven engines for their lunar lander. They're doing, been carrying out more tests and everything, like static fire tests and fuel tests and everything. So they're still hard at work, although they're not seem, seem to be doing too much of the rockets as such behind closed doors and everything like that. But very active on the engine side by the looks of it. Yeah, and they actually seem quite comfortable with their product and their moon lander because i i think it was just a few days ago when blue origin tweeted a picture of be7 engine test firing uh, quoting that this engine will be taking the first woman on the moon yeah definitely i mean don't get me wrong their uh, engines and everything absolutely seem absolutely spot on um just the, the power output and everything, when you compare it to actual SpaceX Raptor engines, they're actually along the same lines of power power outrage, really. So they're not, not any worse than SpaceX as such, so to speak. Um, but um, I think they've got a really solid system. I think that, I think they'll uh, surprise quite a few people when they eventually do bring out New Glenn. It might not be perfect at first, but I think it will be quite a reliable rocket once they iron out all the little niggles. Speaking of surprising people, did anybody see that Virgin are making a flight this week? Yeah, yeah, I saw that, yeah. Uh, just uh, in the next week or so. And obviously weather dependent so that's another um air launch if you like uh launching from the uh i forget the name of the plane now but uh correct me one of you guys if you remember the name just to confuse you we have got launcher one and we've got virgin galactic as well so we've got both of them flying very soon flying launching whatever you want to call it two different types of uh launch I mean, the air launch systems a unique one to watch. We're used to seeing rockets get launched from the ground and creating this big plume of smoke and steam. And to see them go through the air, I think it's a nice change. Yeah, it's really nice to see some footage from the air launch. It's just a whole different ball game. So a lot of guys are having to do a lot more, a lot more um, experiments on the way it actually launches. Because obviously you've already got usual flight path of the aeroplane, but they've got a usually a rocket essentially just go straight straight up then sideways into space if you like but on an airplane it's already going sideways but you need to create that upward momentum to get into orbit so it's a different different way of thinking really so it's just a, a different challenge so ryan i took the liberty of checking up on the stats between the be4 and the raptor uh whilst it does have a slightly higher th- the be4 sorry has a slightly higher thrust the only issue is they haven't revealed what the specific impulse of the engine is, so you can't really do a proper comparison. Yeah, I saw that because we kicked out loads of facts and figures. So on paper at the moment, it does look 
really, really good. And I don't under underestimate it because they pretty much guarantee that it will be that around that power and it will be really efficient. But like you say, it's until we get that number, then we can make a proper comparison because it might it might kick out the same power, but it uses. 10% more fuel, which is just ridiculous when you're talking percentages on rocket engines, stuff like that. Absolutely. I mean, you know, with a greater specific impulse, you're getting more bang for your buck in space as well. I wonder if the reason they haven't launched the specific impulse data is because they haven't actually gotten it to space yet or to have a proper thrust test. Quite possibly, quite possibly. Um, I mean, I'm sure they've done lots of ground tests, but obviously how it performs in the air and in actual real life settings, it's a whole different ball game because obviously uh, Boeing have learned the hard way by relying on computer programs and everything to do simulations. And then the actual physical thing didn't work because a few people didn't do the job properly and stuff like that. But I'm assuming they've done lots of simulations, but not too much real life testing, if you like. Either way, it'll be interesting to see those stats come out once we've got proper data and be able to make a good comparison. Definitely, definitely. And um, obviously, we've seen Rocket Lab last week uh, do a, a launch and uh, landing in the sea in preparation for their, the catch and everything when they eventually do that. But uh, Peter Beck said they're going to carry on doing a few more uh, landings at sea. So we might see their next launch, which is called The Owl's Night Begins. Uh, we might see that one land in the sea again. Yeah, I would think so. Is that launch from New Zealand as well? I believe so. Um, it's, a, it's one full of uh, multiple satellites again, like CubeSats and everything. Quite a few packed up on there. I mean, it's got to be interesting to see how many soft recovery attempts they make before making that catch. You know, we're all on the edge of our seat when they announced uh, return to sender. Initially, we were fairly hopeful that that might be the case to quickly have it dismissed by Peter Beck. But the soft splashdown approach does seem to work and it is a really good way of getting data. I'm just fingers crossed and hoping for a genuine uh, scoop recover, uh, mid-air recovery attempt for the Electron. I think it's going to be exciting to see. Yeah, I would think they will do a couple of more test runs before they actually try with the helicopter. It would be pretty bad accident if the booster would come on top of the helicopter. I think they got it pretty well nailed down because um, what, what Sir Peter Beck said, it actually has, if it still sticks with the aerofoil, they're thinking of getting rid of the aerofoil and just using it like a traditional parachute of some sort, whether it's just for these flights where it's landing in the sea, whether they're going to carry on with that and then the helicopter just comes along and picks it up, I don't know. But the, previously, what he said with the aerofoil, where it's gliding along, they have a good 10 to 15 minutes to actually catch it, so... The helicopter can spot it from a safe distance at height and just catch up with it from behind. So I'm not quite sure whether they're changing tack on the recovery options. I'm not really sure on that. And does anybody know if Peter Beck's eaten his hat yet? He needs to. I know that. <laughs> I haven't heard about it. I believe he said he's more than happy to do it, but it's one of those things that he's been advised is probably bad for him. I think probably what you're going to end up seeing is somebody's going to bake him hat-shaped cake. Yeah, that's the most probable outcome. Jumping from uh, one relatively new startup company to another, um, Avenium with their Raven X uh, system, uh, they just released the full what the full thing's going to look like. It's essentially um, a jet fighter that's going to carry a rocket under its main body and do like an air launch similar to Virgin orbit uh, where they get to get up to a certain height, do a vertical lift towards the towards space drop the rocket and then light the rocket and go. Um, this one's a 
55,000-pound uh, unpiloted aircraft. It's about 80 feet long with a 60-foot wingspan. Um, obviously, while in flight, it released a two-stage rocket that can launch 100 kilograms to 500 kilograms of payload to low Earth orbits. Um, ready, ready, in theory, they said, in the next 18 months, which is around about uh, just not shy, shy of two years. So another exciting project coming up. I mean, looking at it, it looks almost like the X-34 space plane, doesn't it? It looks very nice and very streamlined. Yeah, yeah. And this one's a, rather than your, your standard uh, 747 or a, a, gli- a glider as such with uh, Virgin Galactic, this one's um, essentially a supersonic jet fighter as sorts. It's just going to fly supersonic, then shoot up towards the air and then release the rocket and flip flip down back to Earth. Which is a hell of a lot more speed involved with it by the looks of it. Yeah, sounds like an interesting concept, and the payload capacity would be just around the rocket lab mark. So it's it looks a hell of a lot more stealthier and aerodynamic than the what we've seen previously by anyone else. They're essentially going to go try and go supersonic, then shoot to the sky and drop drop the rocket and go kind of thing. So rather than being yeah, so rather than going um, like subsonic with a 747 or anything like that and then shoot, trying to shoot off to gain momentum, they're going to try and go supersonic, don't know how fast, but and then straight up vertical. So in a way, the rocket's got less momentum to build up to get into orbit in a way. So it's be a little bit easier starting off at Mach 1 or Mach 2 rather than 900 miles an hour or 900 kilometers an hour, whatever you call it. Did anybody see the Elon interview at the Axel Springer Award 2020 this year? It was on the 1st of December this year. Elon gave an interview where he talks about his ambitions for SpaceX and making a Mars shot. Says if they get everything right, he could be sending an uncrewed mission to Mars in as little as two years. With a crewed mission, hopefully 2026, or once again, if they get lucky, 2024. I'm sure. I'm sure he said 2023 as well. If if everything goes perfectly as well, I, I vaguely remember that. Yeah, I've, I've read bits of it, but I didn't actually watch it or anything like that. But he essentially said he, he said humans will be further down the line, but in terms of just checking some something there for the fun of it, or, or whether it be a rover or a, some sort of thing, there, you said it could quite easily be 2023, 2024. Just just on a test, just on a test run of the Starship or something like that. Yeah, he said uh, 2023, but naturally because of the Hormon transfer window, it would be 2024 when it launches. But it could be ready by 2023 to launch for the 2024 Hormon transfer. Did he speak anything about the moon? He did not speak too greatly about the moon. He did say that there was a need for a base there in order to progress towards Mars, but he didn't mention any of the moon ambitions that they've got. Sounds like a great interview that we should link to the description. Speaking of Elon, we can tie this in perfectly. Did you know that the Perseverance rover is now over 69% of the way to Mars? Not far away at all now, is it? Yeah. 69.5% 69.5% of the way with 89,229,500 miles counting. And how many names on board, Rich? A lot, uh, including mine, actually, and my partner's. Mine's on there as well. I'm a partner's. <laughs> I'm there too. And I know we're all heading towards the moon soon, courtesy of TJ, who we spoke with recently at Total Space. I'm also on that one as well. <laughs> I believe I put a photo on there, I think. Yeah, I put a photo in there too, 
with Felix's project. Yeah, it was with Felix's project that I put a photo on there. I don't believe I had my name on there though, but it's it's not a big you know no photo of me's going to the well, actually it's a photo of me and my partner that's going to the moon. So we're going everywhere, you know. I'm racking up them space miles, boys. <laughs> we saw um the first uh, cargo two um dragon capsule go up uh, just a few days ago as well didn't we uh, it's the first time we've seen that one the cargo version of it actually launched at the international space station it was quite interesting that i've got to say it was a very beautiful design i like the changes on the cargo dragon too yeah it, yeah there was basically two big differences or three of course the inside of the capsule is for cargo then there was no abort engines super dragos and the trunk had only two fins compared to four. We also saw, saw a good uh, view of the uh, the trunk, the inside of the trunk, when it got um, released from the uh, the second stage. Um, we actually got to see what's actually behind it. Whereas previously, it had just been released, and then we got to see the capsule later on. We never got to see the, what's inside that trunk underneath, where the heat shield of the Dragon capsule is. I've got to say, it's a very beautiful looking docking adapter. Now, I don't often say that inanimate things are beautiful but my god did they design that docking adapter well yeah it looked beautiful was it a nanorax bishop adapter or am i right it was the nanorax adapter yeah yeah that's great for science payloads and actually the crs21 capsule just docked a few hours ago to the iss and it was great to see live and also few hours before that I actually looked up the skies to see ISS fly by and I saw a couple of flashes after it. So I think that may have been the Dragon capsule, even though I may have imagined it. Eagle Eye Miko. <laughs> That's the great thing about living so far north is you can get some really clear views. Yeah, and um, northern wind winter has a lot of darkness. Good for looking at the skies. And also we've got uh, from SpaceX as well, we've got Enrol uh, 108 launching later in the week, another Enrol uh, military satellite. Um, seen quite a lot of them lately. They must be uh, replacing uh, the old old ones that are up there and everything. I imagine they must be operational satellites for the US's new Space Force. Yeah, communication satellites and of various sizes by the looks of it. Because um, as we've seen, seen with uh, Delta IV Heavy, the one that's there launching the 44, it can't be transferred to a rocket. Tori hinted that it's quite a heavy one. It has to be put on a heavy-style rocket. Yeah, and well, th th this is kind of the summa 2 mission because they haven't really told anything about the payload yeah i mean it's they're just generally uh advanced communication satellites and uh Im imagery of source we don't know exactly what are on these we can only assume and guess but uh it is quite interesting to wonder what's what they're spying on us from all the way up there with yeah and actually i think there was another spacex launch all also uh SXM7, that's for Thursday. Yeah, yeah, another one, yeah. And um, I think there was another one happening tomorrow, I think, wasn't there? That's some kind of uh, radio broadcasting satellite. I was joking, I was going to say Starship. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I didn't listen. Hey, that means we can get total space in space if it's radio broadcasting. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> nice one. 
But uh, yeah, anyway, we've got um, Starship potentially launching some point this week um, before the release of the episode or after, who knows. But um, exciting nevertheless, um, we've got SN9 pretty much ready to go now, the SN10 in development, we've got the booster stacking just starting this week. Um, lots and lots going on. It's just insane the amount of development that's going on. Um, I think very quickly we'll end up with three or four or even five starships. Um, Baron if SN8 survives. Does anyone know why the hop keeps getting scrubbed? Is it to do with any technical difficulties with the rocket or is it to do with weather? It's a little bit of everything, I believe. Um, they just wanted to test, get as much out of this this one because it's static fired at least four or five times now. So they just want to test it as much, this one as much as they can because they don't expect this one to survive. It's, it's literally like 20, 30% chance of surviving but take off. Um, never mind landing or anything like that. Um, they even they even lowered the hop altitude from fifteen k to twelve point five. Yeah, that was quite interesting. I mean, it it might be due to the fact that it might glide too far to because in theory it should land on that somewhere near that pad that's not too far away. When you think about it, it's going to have to flop forward, glide, and then do the little little swing round to uh, correct itself and then land. Wonder if the SpaceX staff have like a sort of inside pool where they bet on whether the starship is going to land or crater or whatever got to be some kind of bet going on honestly <laughs> i'd definitely do it <laughs> I mean, what's your bet then it's going in the drink i agree well as you said it's preferable that it does go in the drink so they can research it rather than it crater on land i think it, i think it's going to launch it'll get up to the 12 kilometers then it'll try to do the flop but then it, i think it might just end up tumbling uh, i might lose a fin or something like that because of the sheer like shock of the thing flopping forward because we haven't actually seen the the fins and the flaps and everything move as such on its own we've seen them move them around manually or get blown around in the wind but we haven't actually seen them test anything to do with the flaps yet has anybody actually worked out how much force will be exerted on the spacecraft's integrity when it does the flop maneuver? Because that can't be G-less. You know, the viciousness of that maneuver suggests that the structure is really going to have some stress on it. Well, I hope someone at SpaceX has done those calculations. I mean, they can do these uh, 12 kilometer hops as much as they want, but when you compare the stress of re-entry from orbit, it's just going to be a different mag magnitude altogether. And I mean, not just a re-entry from orbit, but like a Martian re-entry. Imagine the amount of pressure that's going to cause on the vessel. So doing these tests now is vital. But then how much does it reveal about that deep space return? Definitely, definitely. And as well, when they're in space, they've got a whole different host of problems to think about, like the fuel boil off and all the other crazy things that go on in space. Yeah, they can't really test the heat shield with these low altitude flights. Definitely, definitely. And it's an exciting week for space and uh, an exciting week for SpaceX. Um, I think we'll uh, wrap it up there because I'm pretty sure we could uh, talk all night about SpaceX and uh, Starship and everything else. Um, thanks for listening, guys. And a big thank you to all our Patreon listeners and eavesdroppers here in Discord. I'm Ryan from the Space Update. And if you would like to become a Patreon member, head over to patreon.com forward slash total space. I've been Mikko, the host of Deep Dive Fridays. Don't forget to check us out uh, on Twitter, YouTube, and your favorite podcast platform. I've been another space nut. 
you can find me at twitter.com slash another space not thanks for listening today guys and thank you for our patreon members for eavesdropping with us and i've been rich lb host of becoming multiplanetary as always at the end of each episode i've now started a new thing so let's do it big thank you to jishwan and sebastian geopagliari framrick Susie r and marco for being our patreons as Ryan said earlier, if you would also like to become one of our Patreons and you like what you hear, simply head over to patreon.com forward slash total space. Thank you for listening. Cheers, guys. Catch you next week.